Good morning. When I was a kid, about the age of many of these kids walking back to children's ministry, junior church, I loved snow. Did you love snow? The first snow every year is one of my favorite moments. And so my daughter this Tuesday morning came running to me. "Uh, Dad, first snow, it's snowing, it's snowing. It was so exciting for me. Love that first snow. And it was a safe snow. It didn't get all over the place. It didn't make a mess and it wasn't dangerous. But in our area of the world, when the first snow comes, it means it's getting colder and it's getting dark earlier. Colder and darker. And when it's cold and dark, you want it warm and light. You want to be inside and safe. You can solve the problems of cold and dark. There are a lot of options. But there are some problems that you can't solve that easily. And there are some problems, and maybe you're facing them right now, that you can't solve at all, no matter how hard you try. Those are the real problems. That's the real pain, the real suffering, the real injustice, the real devastation. If only someone could do something about those. If only someone would do something about those problems. Well, someone could, and someone would, and someone did. And we celebrate his birth during the Advent season. Jesus arrived to earth the first advent. And when he arrived, it was not announced by email. It did not go to your spam folder. You didn't miss it. It was not announced on the nightly news. You didn't get a phone call or a text. It wasn't posted on Insta, TikTok, or if you were born in the last millennium, Facebook. It was too big for such small platforms. No, the arrival of the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to solve those real problems was going to be too big to announce that way. It was going to be announced by angels. Can you imagine being there in Luke chapter 2 when the sky opened up and some shepherds saw a choir of angels singing glory to God in the highest The Christian hymn, Angels We Have Heard on High, is about that. We sing a song about a song that the angels sang when they announced our Savior's arrival. You know the song, Angels We Have Heard on High. It includes the three-syllable word, Gloria, which we take 18 syllables to sing. And that's not even enough to match the glory of when the angels sang. Because the angels showed up to remind the world that there are some problems we cannot solve. God was going to need to show up himself. Announced by the angels. So this Advent, we're going to spend our Advent sermon series listening in on when angels show up to make the announcements that they made about the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. And so our sermon series is called Angels We Have Heard on High. This Advent, we're going to listen into when the angels show up. And today, our challenge will be simple. Rejoice. The shame lifter answers prayers. That's our challenge. Rejoice. The shame lifter 
answers prayers. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in Luke chapter 1, the first 25 verses. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's reprinted on the back of our bulletins. And after I pray, I will read and get comfortable. We have a really long reading this morning, and we get to appreciate the first angel announcement. Angels we have heard on high. Let me pray, and then I will read it. Heavenly Father, thank you for angels. The only beings sufficient enough to know exactly what was going on when you sent your son to be born of a woman. When the incarnation was going to happen, it was announced by angels. So, Lord, give us ears to hear what the angels announced. Give us eyes to see your glory in our lives, in our schedules, in the busyness of this season. Teach us from your word this morning and all month that we might see your glory and join the angel choir singing Gloria because you are glorious. So teach us this morning and nourish us with your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's enjoy Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. This is the word of our Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, To write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and 
My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Put that on a Christmas card. Merry Christmas. The Lord has taken away my reproach among the people. I think it would make a great Christmas card. Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke. He's writing down a story that really happened about John the Baptist's parents. Zechariah was a priest. He got picked to burn the incense. An angel appears to him while he's doing it and tells him that his wife will bear him a son and it's going to be good news for the whole world. Zechariah hesitates with doubt, so he's not allowed to talk, but his wife can talk. Oh, she can talk. She can talk about what happened. And she tells us the main point. For her, one thing was clear. Rejoice, the shame lifter answers prayers. Look at verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So the announcement of the angel fulfilled in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, rejoice, the shame lifter answers prayers. And so our message has three parts. Rejoice, part two, the shame lifter. Part three, answers prayers. That's a great way to spend the Advent season. Rejoice, the shame lifter answers prayers. First, let's rejoice. Look at verse 14. This is what the angel said. The angel's announcement told the world this, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. That's Zechariah and Elizabeth. And many will rejoice at his birth. Advent Advent is a time to rejoice, but Advent is also a time to wait. A lot of us are waiting for something. Advent is a great time to wait. Kids wait until Christmas to see what presents they got. And adults wait until December 26th. So we don't have to keep hearing those ridiculous songs in stores and everywhere else like Dominic the donkey simply having a wonderful Christmas time and everyone's favorite Feliz Navidad, which somehow, according to Billboard, is the 39th most played song 
on the radio and streaming this week. Why? We all wait for the end of those songs from the bottom of our heart. Advent is an important time to wait. Advent is an important time for God's people to wait. In the first century, Zechariah and Elizabeth and faithful followers of God were waiting until the Messiah arrived. And we today, God's people in the 21st century, are waiting for the Messiah to return. Advent is a great time to wait, but because the first Advent has already happened, we don't just wait We celebrate, we sing great songs, we rejoice. And Elizabeth was rejoicing. Look at verse 25 again. The Lord has done for me when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God looked on Elizabeth. This woman, who was she? Nobody special, but God saw her. And he knew the shame she was going through. He knew how people treated her. He knew her reputation. He knew how this individual woman, nobody special, was feeling. And he saw her. He looked on her. He didn't forget about her for the VIP section. He looked on Elizabeth and he took her reproach away. Reproach is shame. And how did he do it? By giving her a baby. We'll get to the shame lifting element in a few minutes. And she's going to rejoice because of that. But there are other reasons to rejoice other than just the shame lifting in our passage. First, rejoice because you can be certain. Rejoice because you can be certain. Look at verses one through four again. Luke is writing, and in verse 1, he says that lots of people were writing an account of the stories of Jesus, the things that happened among them. Verse 2 tells us there were a lot of eyewitnesses. This wasn't a fairy tale made up. Luke says, hey, go talk to the eyewitnesses. Check it out. I checked the story out. You can go talk to the people who saw these things happen too. Verse 3 says that Luke took really good notes. And now let me read verse 4. Why is this written down? That you, Theophilus, or lover of God, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty in a world like this? Are you sure? Are you serious? Where can you get certainty? Really, where can you get certainty? Can you buy that online? I went to an online marketplace and I typed in certain and I got a nice selection of curtains. Because they thought I spelled it wrong. Because no one's searching for certain. The second thing after a selection of curtains was deodorant. Where can you get certainty? You know how many people treat religion today? It's a feeling. How do you feel about church? How do you feel about Jesus? How do you feel about religion? I'm spiritual but not religious. What do you mean? They mean they're not certain. And do you know what you get? When you live in a world of chaos without any certainty at all, nothing good, nothing hopeful. A world without certainty is a disaster. Christianity has never been presented as a feeling. It is right from the start presented as something we can be absolutely certain about. Luke, a doctor, presents his information as a historian. But how about you? Do you have confidence 
that these stories are true? Do you have confidence that we're not just setting up trees and giving gifts to feel good and cover up our shame with toys? Do you have confidence that Jesus really came and did what he was saying he did? This account has the journalistic quality of a first century investigative report. We can be certain. We should rejoice about that because with cer- without certainty, all you have is confusion or despair, or worse. Christmas reminds us that we can be certain of these things in an uncertain world. So rejoice because you can be certain. Second, rejoice because John the Baptist was born. Rejoice because John the Baptist was born. Look at verse 13. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. Verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. We're the many who can rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist. Look at verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now look at the last line of verse 17. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist's ministry was going to help people love God more. And to prepare the way for the Lord. Yes, Advent is about Jesus. But Jesus is so amazing, so important, so cosmos changing that the guy who was going to go ahead of him to lay down the welcome mat for him was celebrated by angels. That's how important Jesus was. And John the Baptist gets to play that role. Rejoice, John the Baptist was born. Rejoice that he played his role out well. What role have you been given this Advent season to lay out the welcome mat so that others might see Jesus? There's a clip going viral about a young British boy who landed a role in his nativity play. His mom is guessing in the car what part he got, and she's filming it. Don't look it up now, but after the service, you can look it up. She's like, what, what part did you get? And he's like, oh, it's a classic part. He's like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten. And she, she says, Joseph? No, no. One of the wise men? No, no, no. She finally gives up, and he starts beaming with joy. And he says loudly and proudly, I'm door holder number three. I'll be holding doors. And the mom says, that's amazing. Who are you holding doors for? And he's like, ah, uh, probably Joseph and Mary. And then she asks what we're all thinking. Well, how did you feel about getting that role, right? Door holder number three. And he sits up straight and he gets this big smile and he's like, I'm like, I'm a door holder. Get in there. Let's go. Yes. It's pure joy. He's rejoicing because this Christmas he gets to be door holder number three in an Advent play so that some people might hear the story of Jesus. Are you content with your role this Advent season? John the Baptist was just laying out the welcome mat and it says verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Rejoice because John the Baptist was born, but third rejoice Because you were born, and you were born again if you've come to know Jesus Christ, and you get to play a role this Advent season to point people to Jesus. 
This Advent, everyone is looking for something. Everyone is hoping for something. Everyone is longing for something. And you get to tell people about Jesus. Invite them over for coffee and talk. Invite them to a Bible study. Invite them to your church for a Christmas season event or a worship service. Invite them to our prayer meeting this Wednesday night. Invite them to your life. Bring cookies over so you can tell them about Jesus. And if the Lord only gives you the role this Advent season of door holder number three to point people to Jesus, then hold that door like no door has ever been held before for the glory of Jesus. Will you do it? John the Baptist came to open the door for Jesus to arrive so that many would worship our Lord. Rejoice! John the Baptist, rejoice. You get to play a role too. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You get to be the light of Jesus this month. Rejoice! That's our first phrase. But in our passage, there's a major reason to rejoice, and it's because God is the shame lifter. Point one, rejoice. Point two, the shame lifter. God is the shame lifter. Jesus Christ came to lift shame. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, God lifted their individual social shame, and this shame lifting would point ahead to Jesus who came to lift all of our shame. So let's look at Zechariah and Elizabeth first. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Okay, they were childless and we can imply, since they were praying about it, that they wanted to not be childless. And we know somehow they knew it was not because of um, Zechariah, it was because Elizabeth was barren. So that particular feeling of barrenness was on her. And then it says both were old, like too old to have a child. Yes, in the first century, they knew they were too old to have a child. And so that phrase reminds us that the hope that they had to not be childless is now gone. They've got to the point in their life where there was no hope left. The thing they had prayed for was a no. They were too old, or at least that's what they thought. Now look at verse 6. Very important to notice this. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Why does Luke say that? He says it because of the shame that was on Zechariah and Elizabeth. Culturally, in the first century, it was very common for people to blame other people's circumstances on their moral behavior. Someone may have said, if you were good enough, God would give you good stuff. If you were good enough, in the eyes of the Lord, you would have all of the blessings God gives the people he loves, including blessings like children. And that's exactly what Elizabeth is saying in verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. 
saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth's name was connected to failure. Elizabeth's name in her neighborhood was connected to her inability, her weakness. She didn't hide for five months for fun. Hiding for five months most likely means she was waiting until there was visible proof of her pregnancy because her name was connected to shame. It's very likely that in the community that Elizabeth lived in, had another young woman gotten married and spent a few years trying to get pregnant and become unable to get pregnant, some of the women might have said something like, well, We've got another Elizabeth here. Her shame was in her name. And God loved her so much that he didn't just send Jesus to die for her sins. He sent John the Baptist to be born to Elizabeth to remove the shame for her as a gift. Her name was connected to shame, but God is the shame lifter. And Jesus was coming to lift all of our shame. After Thanksgiving, my mind began thinking about Christmas music because Christmas music was on everywhere. Evidently, that's the day now when we all have to play Christmas music for every free minute until Christmas. And uh, my mind was thinking about the songs I really appreciate. The first song I uh, played in my office was He Who Is Mighty. We're going to sing that next Sunday uh, during our worship service. Here's how it begins. Oh, the mercy our God has shown to those who sit in death's shadow. The sun on high pierced the night, born was the cornerstone. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. Here it is. He who is mighty has done a great thing. Taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness, and here's the line, and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. Love that song. John the Baptist was a gift to lift the shame of Elizabeth, but John would point all of us to Jesus who lifts all of our shame because shame is powerful, isn't it? Shame is so powerful. When we're full of shame, we blame. When we're full of shame, we avoid. When we're full of shame, we run. When we're full of shame, we try to deny it. We use shame as a weapon. That's the new thing now. We used to be a meritocracy. As a, as a society, as a culture, and we've shifted very quickly to a shame culture. When you don't like someone, you try to publicly shame them. You try to get them shamed at work or at school. We are now moving towards being a shame culture. But shame isn't just a weapon. It's real, and it comes from sin. The reason we all have shame is because of sin. Here are some verses about it. Jeremiah 3.25 let us lie down in our shame. Let us dishonor covers us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. When we've sinned, shame is the result. Psalm 97, verse 7, all worshipers of images are put to shame. When we worship false gods, we're put to shame by them. And the prophets, the minor prophets, tell of a time of blessing for God's people. And in that time of blessing, it's going to be a time of no shame at all. Joel 2, 26. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. 
Isn't that great? Sin leads to shame. We try to cover up that shame with idols, with false gods, with success, money, entertainment, lame Christmas songs, virtue signaling. That's the new way to cover up shame. I'm going to tell everyone on my social media how good I've been, what cause I support, what hashtag I'm going to put up. I want everyone to know how good I've been. When you have shame, you have to do that. You have to signal virtue. Unless the shame has been taken away. If you're full of shame from your sins, from your failures, crying in your bed at night in the dark, the songs on the radio are not going to take that shame away. If you're full of shame, is Frosty the snowman going to help you? There must have been some magic in that old silk hat they found. There's nothing in that old silk hat that can take away shame. How about the most played song? Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. If you listen to that, fine. But is that going to help the problem of shame? Is that going to lift your shame? She says, make my wish come true. Oh, baby, all I want for Christmas is you. Here's the problem with that. Your boyfriend cannot take your shame away. Your girlfriend can't take your shame away. Your best friend can't take your shame away. Your spouse can't take your shame away. Your children's success where you failed can't take your shame away. Your parents' prosperity can't take your shame away. Other people can't take your shame away. And if you look to another person, the only one you want for Christmas, if you look to them to take your shame away, your shame will increase because you're looking to a false God, someone who can't take your shame away. Sin brings shame. And if you want to get rid of shame, you need someone to take your sins away. Only Jesus can do that. Rejoice, the shame lifter has come. You know why shame happens? Mostly shame happens when two people know what you did. Okay? Shame happens when two people know what you did. Uh, When you know what you did and someone else knows what you did. And then you feel the shame. Like you got caught publicly doing something or you're embarrassed publicly or you do something at school or on the bus or at a game or out in public or at work or at home or the family get together for Thanksgiving. Shame comes when you and someone else know what you did and you have that feeling of shame. That's where shame comes from. But if Jesus has paid for every one of your sins, then guess what? Two people know what you did. You and Jesus. And the other person who knows what you did died to lift your shame. That's why he can lift shame. He knows what you thought. He knows what you did. He knows what you wanted to do. He knows what only you know and you tried to cover up from anyone else ever finding out. He knows and he died to lift that shame. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. 
But in order to solve shame, right? Romans 10, 12, Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How is this possible? Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and what? Despising the shame. Jesus was publicly humiliated, publicly mocked, publicly tortured, publicly executed. He went through all the shame the world could pour out. He took it all. He despised that shame and he rose again on the third day so that you might not have shame if you trust in him. He took the shame to lift your shame. Rejoice, the shame lifter has come. And he cared about Elizabeth enough to take away her social shame by giving her a child. He doesn't do that for every barren person. But he does lift the shame of sin from everyone who trusts in him. Rejoice, the shame lifter. Third, answers prayers. Rejoice, the shame lifter answers prayers. This passage was all about what we can't do and what only God can do. Let's look over the text again and see all the things that we could not do that only God could do. Look at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, Now let's stop there. When Jesus was born, this is the Herod who ordered the massacre of all the boys under two years old, the massacre of the innocents. Who could stop Herod? Zechariah couldn't, but God could. Look at verse 7. They had no child. Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. Who can become pregnant of their own effort? No one. Who can unbarren a barren woman? No one but God. Who can help an old couple get pregnant? Nobody but God. Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, stop there. Who's in charge of the times and seasons? Who scheduled Zechariah to be there that day? Only God could have done that. Look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense by lot. What's that? Not by chance. God's sovereign control was over that. Only God could have scheduled this. And burning incense was a very rare opportunity. In fact, if you among your group of priestly um, servants was selected to burn incense, you were never allowed to do it again for the rest of your life. You could only, it was literally a once in a lifetime opportunity that very few percent of the people like Zechariah got picked for. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had no control over all of these things. And so Christmas reminds us that God is in control and we are not. So what should we do? Well, we better pray. If This story reminds us of all the things we can't control, all the things God orchestrated to fulfill his will and to answer prayer, then we should be people of prayer. Why do the angels show up? The angels show up to remind us that only God can solve our true problems. So let's be a house of prayer. On the third Sunday of the month at 915, we fill this room with corporate prayer 
I would challenge and encourage every one of you to make that a priority because prayer is what we do to talk to God about the things that we admit only he can do and only he can build his kingdom. Only he can build his kingdom in your heart and in your home and in your workplace and in your neighborhood. Only he can change lives. Only he, as you lay out the welcome mat this Advent for Jesus, can change a heart of your neighbor, your loved one, your friend, your spouse, your kid, your parent. And so we pray. Let's commit to be a house of prayer. Let's commit to lives of prayer. Let's increase our use of our church prayer chain. And let's ask God to teach us to pray. Because consider Zechariah. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard. Let's stop there. Zechariah was praying for the impossible, the humanly impossible. And God said, yes. And the child that was born laid out the welcome mat for Jesus, the child who would grow up to take away my shame and to take away your shame. He who is mighty has done a great thing. Taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness, and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. This Advent season, brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice. The shame lifter answers prayers. Let me pray. Father, this account of Zechariah and Elizabeth has so much to teach us. We've only spent a few minutes listening to your word. Father, will you comfort us while we wait for you to answer prayer? Will you help us rejoice in all the blessings we have, including the ability to be confident that these stories are true in a world with confusion. And Father, will you help us see, no matter what shame culturally we have for our faith and for our life and our circumstances, help us remember that you are the true shame lifter. And in those moments of shame, help us not turn to vain idols because they can't help us. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus who took on that shame so that he could lift our true shame. Help us rejoice this Advent season. In Jesus, our shame lifter's name, we pray. Amen.